Hey everybody, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up for this week. And I have a great friend on the show today, and that is Dr. Paddy Ann Tublin. And the topic today that we're going to kind of get into and kick around is trust and relationships. Now, in my opinion, this is a topic that does not get enough credit in terms of driving business success. Now, if you think about it, relationships are key, right? They're key in business, they're key outside of business. And emotional intelligence is the thing that helps us understand the impact we are having on others. And if you want to take you know, your business to the next level, your career, your life, you really have to understand that impact that you're making. Now, Patty Ann is the perfect guest to discuss this topic. She is the CEO and founder of Relationship Toolbox. She is a training and development expert specializing in the development of emotional intelligence and other soft skills. And as a relationship, communication, and emotional intelligence specialist, she understands that a company's people are its most important asset. Now, a little bit of fun, right? Now, sometimes people think that I'm a little bit like Bobby Axelrod from the show Billions. Now, I'm not, but my background in private equity has elements of that world. If you've ever seen that show, there is a psychologist in there, a psychologist coach in there called Wendy, and Dr. Patty Ann is kind of like a Wendy. Like she goes into businesses where there is an issue with performance, and often that issue in performance is an internal thing with people, and she helps solve that problem, you know, creating a whole heap of value in the process. When you get that negative feedback, that's where you grow, and it allows you to become a more empathic person. So here's what we're going to get into today. Of course, emotional intelligence and soft skills, how they can promote optimal individual and group performance to impact the bottom line of a company, right? Really important stuff. We're going to talk about the conscious and unconscious emotional issues we all go through as humans and how we can recognize and address them. Naturally, we're going to talk about trust, you know, how it plays plays to success in a group, a company, a partnership, and how vulnerability is part of building trust whether we naturally like it or not, okay? And then we're going to talk about the traits of amazing leaders and the traits that might derail some of them from hitting their goals and their lofty ambitions. And as you know, as entrepreneurs, you're always learning because if you if you stop learning, you just start dying. So it is an action-packed conversation today. Similar to me, uh, Dr. Patty Ann doesn't hold back. <laughs> she is an absolute ball of energy. And I know that you're going to learn a lot about not only what makes us tick as humans, but the things that you can apply in your business to help you grow and scale and get to your end game. So enough rambling from me. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Dr. Paddy Ann Tubble. Hey everyone, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up for this week. I have a very good friend on the show today, and we are going to be talking about a topic which to be frank, from my years in private equity, doesn't get enough credit for driving performance and for driving value in a business. And that is relationships. The key relationships in a business, outside a business, importantly, emotional intelligence and the context of that in terms of making your business work, thrive, and get you to the level you want to get to. So, Dr. Patty Ann Tublin, welcome. The show today. Hi, Nick. It's so great to be here with you. We were chatting before we went live and I could talk to you forever. There you you talk so fast. I said you could be a New Yorker. Yeah, well, this is good. Australians and also we're quite direct, right? We don't muck around. So this is going to be a, a straight no shooting conversation. I have a feeling. 
This will not be for the faint of heart. So if you don't want it, as we see it, lower the volume. I had the privilege, <laughs> though, of being on your show quite recently. How's that all going? Oh, my God, it was great. You were awesome. You were so much fun. And you were telling me about, I believe it's your father-in-law who does the work if I'm not brought into a company, meaning when partnerships dissolve, he does the legal end. Was that you? No, that's someone else. <laughs> no, no, no. What does your father-in-law do? No, my father-in-law is in real estate. Oh, no. So my father-in-law is um, was an engineer for BA. But no, we spoke about my dad. We spoke about my oh. dad being a successful entrepreneur. And we got quite emotional. <laughs> in the yes. Show. Yes. But what you were saying earlier to me, listen, of course, this is my wheelhouse, so I'm going to feel this way. But um, you can't have a successful business if you don't have if you don't know how to create, nurture and sustain healthy relationships. And what I love to talk about is like Mark, Mark Zuckerberg did not start Facebook by himself. He had Sheryl Sandberg. Warren Buffett has Charlie Munger. Right. Steve Jobs had Steve Wozniak. And if you look the show, you're familiar with Shark Tank, right? You guys oh, have yeah, that. Yeah, we were just talking yeah. about um, Kevin Harrington just before. Okay. That's right. <laughs> so the whole premise, the whole premise of Shark Tank is that the sharks, they invest their money. But really, the key to the Shark Tank, where people, the entrepreneurs want to shark, is because they want their connections, they want their strategic partnerships, the relationships that will open up doors to them that would otherwise remain closed. And that tells you that no one is successful alone. There you go. So you are a relationship expert. How yes. did you get into that? Give us a bit of the, the backstory that's led you to that, that path now. All right, I'll give you the long story short, which is hard for me. Um, so basically, <laughs> so I have two masters and I have, a, and I have a doctorate in clinical psychology. And back when the dinosaurs rolled the earth, I was working, doing marriage work with a couple and the man was a CEO of a company, a very big company, everybody would know the name of. And we were working on the soft skills of, at that time, communication, right? Because communication determines the overall quality of your life in business and personal. And his wife turned to him and said, this is what your leadership team needs. Nobody knows how to communicate. And he turned to me and he said, can you help us with that? And I'm like, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm a clinical psychologist. And then I went back and I learned about coaching and consulting and all that other great stuff. And so my clinical background laid the foundation because I really am an expert in human behavior performance and motivation. And so it was just the start. Of, and as you know, as entrepreneurs, you're always learning because if you, if you stop learning, you just start dying. So that's, that's how I got here. And it's really, I might get myself in trouble now, Nick. That's but, okay. yeah, I'm um, expecting that to happen a few times on this conversation. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but many, you know, many coaches are, you know, a certified coach by John Smith or, they have a 16 month training program. I'm like, okay, that's great. But it sort of kind of pales to, you know, between my education and my experience. So I'm so, you know, so come to have me. Have you seen the, I might've asked you this when I was on your show. Have you seen the, um, the TV show Billions? Of course. I, I'm the woman that does that work. Yeah, cause I'm, cause I'm kind of like the guy. Um, Which one? You're well, I'm a little bit nicer than Bobby Axelrod, but honestly, I could tell you some stories from back in the day that, 
We'll just oh, tell us one. No, no, I can't. I'm not allowed to. Like, you know, I'm not allowed but, to. But wait, allowed to record, record. wait, wait, Nick, before, before you blow by that, I am like the doctor on that show without I, I get it. Without I, don't talk about, I don't want to talk about horses' heads in beds and some of that stuff that we used to do. <laughs> Let me make you, you an know, offer like, you can't refuse. Let me make you we an got offer. Our, we got our way most of the time, right? You, you kind of get everyone's listening to this. You can get the context, but but that environment. I want everyone to know it's ten o'clock in the morning. We have not had a drink yet, so in case anyone thinks this is going off the rails. No, well, it's 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 ten to four here in the UK, so trust me, we haven't started drinking here yet either. But um, but yeah, I, I bring that up. I bring up the billions thing because because I think a lot of people watch that show, particularly the people who listens to my listen to my show. Right. So you were like, uh, what's her name, Wendy? I think. So Wendy, that was her name. Navigating all these different things going on in in companies, the leadership of companies, and helping them just kind of, I suppose, get themselves centered, get their mindset right, get them focused so that they weren't what distracted and they could connect and drive better levels of performance. And so, there's, so, there, so there's two aspects of that. And I do think Wendy does this, although if she doesn't, it's Hollywood, right? Yeah. So <laughs> when you do high performance coaching, right? There's two aspects and we all know, even guys will admit it now that you bring, I know this is an overused term, but you bring your whole self to work, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone's not performing, especially in the world that you're in, the private equity world, the hedge fund world, like on the one hand, nobody cares about your feelings, right? On the other hand, I think we have evolved enough to know, especially for you traders out there, all decisions are emotion-based, right? We might think we're logical and I could show you the neuroscience now of the mind, the brain and the, and the, and the heart all connected. But what the high performance coaching does is yes, there's a performance issue, but many times there's something going on in somebody's life on a personal level. That's a distraction or that's not allowing them the clarity to execute and to make the best decision for the company and to perform at their highest level. That's the work that I do. And I do think that that's what Wendy does. So if just think about it, something really simple, right? You have an argument with your, your partner when you're walking out the door or to go into the next room to go to work. It takes you a couple of minutes to clear your head. Well, you might not have a couple of minutes to clear your head. You might have to make an executive decision the minute you sit down, especially if you're a high performing CEO, People can't wait. You would not make the same decision if you have the clarity and you're not and the focus that you need for your work had you not had that personal distraction. And that's let's, a good let's so unpack this. So this will, this will be a bit of fun, right? Let's have some fun. So first question that came to mind about 30 seconds ago is if someone has a personal issue that is affecting them, right. are they conscious of it all the time or can it be subconscious? It, it, both. Sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. Listen, if you're going through a divorce, if one of your children are sick, if you have somebody with a medical illness, you're consciously aware of that. But other times you're not consciously aware of that. Coaching is not the forum for getting to that unconscious level. All right. That's that's what a shrink does. That's is, that, is, that, is that basically what's called therapy? Because remember over here on that's this side therapy. of the pond, on this yeah. side of the pond, that's not as common. <laughs> Or talked about it. Maybe it is common, but not talked about as much. I was just going to say, thank you. Okay. Correct. 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 Oh, I just had a nasty thought, but I'll save it for offline. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not I'm going not even, I'm not even British, but we're very, um, what's it called? There's an expression here called thick upper lip. 
which basically means you don't. You we don't, call it stiff. We call it stiff upper lip. Yes, you don't basically. It might be the same thing. I might have just stuffed that up. But um, you don't share your. No, no, you go, don't share your laundry to too much. Is basically. But, but the, let, I'm Australian, so back, I can say that. Let me go back to your question. What we what we do have to uncover though in coaching is people have blind spots. Okay, you could call that something that's unconscious, but we all have blind spots. That's where you don't work with the person in isolation, right? If someone comes to me for like, if you came to me for coaching, I would, I would want now everybody doesn't work this way, depending upon the issue, right? You think everything's great. You don't have an issue. You know, let me just, you know, improve my performance, which is great, but it's unusual that somebody doesn't have something to work on and improve on. It's Really, it's it's yeah. impossible. So I would then ask either your co-founder, your cohort, or a superior, gee, what, what can make? How can I help make Nick perform better? How can I help him? What's his like? What's he not aware of? And then I also want to know to the people that report to you or work with you, right? I want the top, the bottom, and the sideways because they will all give me a different perspective perspective of how you operate and and how you execute. And then I can come back to you and say, are you aware that perhaps, and then we take it from there. Inevitably, there will be some kind of a psychological route to that. My job is just to make you cognizant of that, not to deal with that, but to make damn sure it doesn't get in the way of you. So if if I'm made more aware of it, what happens then? It's the start of seeing it. So if, for example, let's say I'm told, gosh, Nick always interrupts. He really has a hard time listening. And then I share that with you. And then I'll say to you, I want you when you, you know, between now and our next call, see if you can catch yourself interrupting. Like be aware of that. Better yet, ask the people that you work with. Have you noticed to do tell me the truth do do i tend to interrupt and then if first comes to worst ask your partner your romantic partner or your kids they tell you everything yeah my wife would do that um have you heard of a concept called jahari's window yes i have i've heard of it i read about this well i'm going to butcher this but for a bit of fun um the context of it is this idea of as you said blind spots so there's things that i know about myself that that you know because they're visible or obvious or whatever else there's things that I know about myself that you don't know because they're, I, may, I may choose not to show them, even though you're obviously like a you know, Wendy brain, you might pick them up. But then there are things that you see about me that I have zero awareness of. Right. Right. And there's this idea the Jahari's window concept was the idea of the window into the full picture of who you are. I think mm-hmm. it came from a psychological Of course it expert. did. Everything is psychological. <laughs> no, seriously, everything is psychologically based. What is, what do you, what is, you mentioned before psychology. What is psychology in, in, in your definition, not necessarily a textbook definition? Oh, good Lord. I haven't thought about that in forever. What a great question. I think psychology has to do with the psyche of the mind and how it operates. Yeah. And we've come, listen, we don't realize it, but prior to Sigmund Freud, we didn't even know about the unconscious. Right now, Sigmund Freud was not right about a lot of things but there's two things he was right about. One is the unconscious, right? So for example, I'm going to make up this name. It's not true. Mm-hmm. I grew up and I had a teacher whose first name was Jane and I couldn't stand her. And I couldn't stand it because I thought she was stupid. 
she was stupid. She was stupid. Because as an adult, my parents said, yes, she was stupid. But we couldn't tell you that because you were already out of control. You would have really gone out of control with her. It took me until maybe five minutes ago to not associate the name Jane with someone I knew nothing about with being stupid. Because I made that connection. That's what psychology does. But what Freud does, two things he's right is there's an unconscious, which means, and part of that is all behavior with a capital A has unconscious motivation. All of it, truth. The second truth, dreams are the royal road to the unconscious because when we go to sleep, our super ego, super ego, ego id, Ego is what we're aware of. It, think of I, impulses, right? All the things that socialized out of us. I want to kill you because I'm mad at you, but I don't, right? And then your super ego, which is your conscience. When you sleep, your super ego and your ego goes to rest, if you will. Gross oversimplification. And all the id, all the impulses come out in your dream and go wild, So that's why you can't interpret a dream. You know, water doesn't mean rebirth. Like I need to know what's happened 48 hours before your dream to interpret it. Because there's also concepts of this, of say condensation, meaning one person can be represented by 10 different people in your dream. Oh God, that opens up. It's really complicated. It's it's really complicated, but when I'm coaching, I, if somebody yeah, tells you, probably, me that, you can see the patterns of it, but, but what, what happens it's if you all don't... about, you just said it, Nick, see this, this is why you're the smart guy. It's all <laughs> about patterns yeah. and patterns of behavior. And that impacts our performance at work. And it impacts how people want to, or don't want to relate to us. That's mm-hmm. it. That's my work in a nutshell. Game See, over. We've, we've unpacked it in 15 minutes. Um, there you go. 15 well, seconds. You just did it. Well, you know, but there was the context. We need to have the build up, right? Otherwise, you know, <laughs> otherwise people wouldn't be, be as entertained by our, our rambling. Um, what happens if you can't remember your dreams? What happens if you can't remember your dreams? I mean, okay. you, yeah, you can't, you probably can't. I'm sure there's a way that if you regress or something, you can remember them. But like, you know, I, I can't think of the last time I can remember a dream. I probably, if I tried hard enough, I might be able to remember certain themes, but I've never had a vivid dream for years. Well, all, well, if I recall correctly, listen, I'm not a dream expert and I don't do dream analysis, right. you know, but I, I believe all people dream. And if we don't remember the dream, it's because we're not supposed to. And that's why when oh, you wow. have a lot of this, this is really clever. Oh, is well, when there's a lot of regressive work and they're, Back in the 70s, right? Oh, no, I'm not going to go with that. But (laughs) sometimes there's a vogue um, diagnosis, borderline, sexual uh, stuff. I got you. I got you. So people who have had some pretty challenging stuff happen when they're younger and all that stuff. But, but But it becomes vogue. It becomes vogue. Like it's the thing to talk about. Right. Okay. Well, sometimes people do work and they they try to tap into that. If something, if you're not conscious of something, that is your mind protecting you from a truth or a feeling associated to that experience that your brain, your mind, your body cannot, cannot process. It won't be healthy for you to remember it. So sometimes you let sleeping dogs lie unless 
that behavior is getting in the way of you forming healthy relationships. And that has to do with trauma. Wow. God, you know your stuff, Patty Ann. But, well, <laughs> gosh, I feel like I'm, I'm babbling. No, we haven't had this conversation that. before. So um, not you and I, I'm just thinking, I mean, I have all, this, all sorts of different people come on this show with different perspectives on um, culture, relationships. I'm just about angles. the people in the business. That's it. I don't no. know how to create your different... So are you working, so just to unpack this a little bit, when you go and work with, with a big organization, and I know you've worked yeah. with a number of them, are you focused uh, on the individuals themselves that then helps define the culture, or are you going there and, and working across teams and all sorts of things? Oh, that oh, okay. oh, that's a great question. Okay, so that's like five questions in one. I know. Okay. Let, My brain let works me, like that. Um, okay. <laughs> Actually, let me just preface this because I think it will bridge what we said earlier to where we're going. The word that we haven't used yet in this conversation, which is critical to any success of anybody in any organization is trust, okay. right? You have to have trust. The only way you can have trust is if you allow yourself to be vulnerable in a relationship. Otherwise, it's just chitter, chitter chatter. Is, right? is that like a dog rolling on its back? Exactly. At the belly. Yes, that's a great image. Yes. Okay, that's okay. I, I mean, you know, for, for all the people who have no idea what we've been talking about, I just wanted to, I wanted to bring it down to a very base level. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Patting your dogs on the back, right? Or, or, or guys. But anyway, uh, so, so when you go into an organization, you know, and, and this will get to the culture, sure. you know, the level of trust based upon when a mistake is made or when somebody fails, the sooner that mistake, that error, that failure is brought to light, that gives you an indication of the level of trust within the organization. So how quickly <laughs> it's brought to life or the level that it's brought to life as well? How quick, how quickly, really, I'm talking about the speed right now. Pace, okay. Guess what happens? If there's a mistake that's made on any level, Right. And of course, the ramifications are based upon, you know, the seriousness of the mistake yep. and it gets pushed under the rug and it's ignored and nobody wants to talk about it. It could take years, year, depending, before that mistake is brought to life and it could bring the company down. And that's because people don't trust that they're not going to get fired, screamed at, reprimanded, the scapegoat. Or, you know, their career cut out from under them. But if if you're my boss, Nick, and let's say I blow a deal, like I lose the client customer, right? I mean, we're not talking about neurosurgery here. Nobody's going to die. I know some people think money is their God, but it's not, right? It's important, but it's not God. Yep. And <laughs> I, I, I have to say, Nick. You would, you would have loved working in my old world. God, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, even if people think they're God, I'm the one that tells them, actually, I will speak truth to power. So I will tell someone you got to chill out, but I will have to say to you, Nick, I, I, I have to share something with you. I made a mistake and this is what I learned. You know, I made this mistake and right away, this is what I learned from it. You have to have the learning behind the mistake and then how you handle that, how you process that, your level of emotional intelligence. Do you just become impulsive and freak out? Or do you try to be empathic and realize, wow, she feels really badly about this. This really sucks for her. It sucks for me. It sucks for the company.
but she's trying to learn. Or my job as her leader is to ask her what she learned from that. And then of course you don't repeat it. But if the failures, the mistakes are not brought to light, people aren't going to learn from it. And, and then you have a culture where there's a lack of trust. When there's a lack of trust, every decision-making process within the company is slowed down. Do you know why? Well, you've got um, the, the first thing that comes to mind is victim and blame. So you've got this oh, idea. But why that, does that you know, slow down the process? Well, because people aren't being honest. So, so therefore, like, there's also, a point where you, I'm not going to make the decision. No, no. Now you have to have every decision made by, you know, like, let's have a meeting. Let's have another meeting. Let's have another meeting. Right. Everything gets slowed down and then innovation gets slowed down. And the next thing you know, you were the leader of the pack and now you're you're falling further and further behind because to have innovation, you also have to have trust. Because you can only have innovation if you make mistakes. You try something, you fail. You try something, you improve it. You try it, you fail, you improve it. Which makes perfect sense. However, <laughs> why? Okay, let's talk about how, how companies that, that lean into this well and understand it well get created versus the ones that might start off with that intention but lose their way. Okay, so, okay, here, here we go. So Netflix. I mean. Yeah, Netflix, perfect. even though Netflix is having a hard time now, I understand that. So let's go pre-COVID Netflix. Yep. Who preceded Netflix? What was the company where we? Oh, awesome. You're a little young. It was, uh, Friday, I said, no, I'm not. I'm 48. It was um, it was, it was blockbuster videos on a Friday night, and you go down and yeah. you'd be really pissed off if the new release you wanted was gone. Exactly. That's yeah. why they would call the mother to go during her lunchtime. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, so, so when, when Blockbuster saw the concept, and I might have this wrong, but people already know where I'm going. The streaming concept started or the concept of, wow, we can just log on. The internet's taking off. Nobody, it's like books. Like, you know, what's the percentage of people that go to the library as opposed to get it on your Kindle, right? So Blockbuster failed to innovate. Now, I don't know why they failed to innovate, but the culture makes you comfortable. I'll tell you the other big one, Kodak. Kodak actually created digital film, whatever they call it. They, Kodak didn't want to rock the boat. They were happy being the leader of the pack. You know, if you're under 35, you don't even know who Kodak is. Oh, yeah, and, and, and then you've got then you've got things like Nokia. Uh, more recently, WeWork and Uber. So if you study what happened to Uber in terms of their share price and or their valuation, sorry. Okay, um, so let's go, let's go let's go to Uber and, and WeWorks, okay? Because that's the other part for my that's my other area of expertise. That has to do with culture. WeWork was like the inmates were running the insane asylum asylum because the business model at that time was brilliant. I actually still think I know a way for them to come back, but they're not paying me to be their consultant yet. So I'm not sharing it. And then who's the, and then Uber, Uber had like all this, you know, and, and look, I'm not into them. You know, I don't come into being invited. I love my husband, three of my four kids are young men, but there was a lot of sexual harassment, male dominated ego going around. That culture is not going to fly, nor should it. So that, that, that was a cultural issue in those companies. Isn't culture driven by behaviors, which are driven by, you know, values and therefore things like trust, things yep. like authenticity. 
you know, like one how of the many companies that, know their how many people know their company's core values? Well, this is what how I was going to go to. Values? So, so there's a difference between there's a difference between big difference between a word on a wall, and what actually gets demonstrated, you know, within and around and through the organization. Exactly. So here, so I just helped the company create their core values. There are a bunch of accountants. Oh my God, could you like watch paint dry? Anyway. I have a couple of them, so nobody knows who they are. This um, is a popular show, by the way, Patty Ann. So, you know, I know, might be I know. I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> well, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? Listen, don't have a guilty conscience. Anyway, so there, you know, it's really hard because the mindset, seriously, of accountants is, you know, they're high C's, they're, you know, one and one is two, right? Now, me, I live in the gray, ah, two and a half, one and a half, whatever. But so, so they're trying to understand the concept of, how you operationalize them, right? They're just on the wall. So this, it's really easy. I'll say to them, you start a meeting or once a week, this is all you have to do as the leader. Nick, give me an example of how you operationalize one of our core values this past week. Better yet, John, give me an example of how demonstrated our core values this week. And that gets you to, it's, it's a site worry, but to internalize, to own the core value, so you can live it. I'll share Does with you. Sense? I'll share with you something interesting. Well, interesting. Does for that me. makes sense to you. Nick? Yeah, no. Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you an example of where we did this in a company which was sold five times for, in the end, over five billion dollars. So this is an interesting, I think, join up of behaviors and values to culture, right, and mm -hmm. performance. So when I was at Getty Images for a number of years we had what is called seven leadership principles. They weren't called values. They were called leadership principles and they were written as statements. So some of them were like, uh, for example, bring me solutions or no silos, right? Now here's the clever bit. Well, I found it clever is that we had very, very big bonuses at that um, company because it was private equity backed, certainly when I was there. And 60% of our performance in our bonus was done on how we delivered our objectives. And 40% was based on how we adhered to the leadership principles. And this is how they did it. You would go into meetings. It was random. It was almost like this kind of 360 thing that was happening all the time. There's a pro and a con to what I'm about to say. But when you had a meeting, you know, if you went back to your desk, you would have like a random uh, email come to you that was sort of automated. And people would know who were in the meeting with you. And you would have to assess them literally five minutes after the meeting on how they adhered to the values of the company. At the very end, we actually did this four times a year, but at the end of the year, you would get an assessment, which was literally hundreds of small little micro surveys based on how you performed. So that was how it was done. But what was interesting is we, we flipped that business five times and took the, the value up massively, but it had a culture whereby if you didn't live those values, you were out. So it was so kind of good and saying, What were you implying is the downside to that? Because I think I know what it is, but I want to well, hear well, the downside the downside to that is that you had this you know, because you were always under the microscope and you're always being watched. And of course, you know, having, having clear principles like that doesn't stop um, political things happening in organizations, particularly when they're like being that. human. Yeah, exactly. So there was a way of gamifying the system a little bit, if you didn't like someone or whatever. Well, you now, know what, it, it's, it, it, uh, to me, it can compromise the authenticity of somebody, right? No? Yeah, it was, I, I, what was interesting, and again, I'll talk about this because I think it's an interesting it's part of the gamifying. It was the gamifying to some extent, but it was also the fact that um, when you when you were in that culture, like it, the culture was owned by everyone in the business, it wasn't owned by the board. 
Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. was a whole point that it was so well um, indoctrinated. Maybe it's too strong a word. But you own a piece of it. No, no, no. I get it. But, yeah. but it was like, you know, it was tattooed through everybody. And there were a lot of people there who stayed there a long time because they loved that environment and they loved mm-hmm. what you know, it was. There was no ambiguity, I suppose, is where I'm going with this in terms of how you needed to perform from from a kind of like how we do things perspective. Mm-hmm. And that became Actually, quite I do uniform. Have a question. I do have a question for you. Um, and then I'll answer it and tell me if the answer is right. Sure. So if if I'm meeting with you and then after the meeting, I'm rating you, how do we differentiate between it was the person's issue as opposed to my issue? What's the how do you see the pattern there? Yeah, it's, it, there, is, there is no join up between that other than the amount that you would have done over time. Okay. So you might have the outlier, but we're talking hundreds and hundreds of these little micro surveys. So, you know, unless, unless you had the situation where that same person was getting the same survey every week, hundreds of times, yeah. it's a kind of uh, a scale or a, or a, or a know, scope. I, perspective. I, do, I do like that, Nick, because basically, you know, what, what, you're, what you're saying is that you value, yes, the competency the person brings, but also their character. How did they treat, they might have the best solution, right? But maybe they're obnoxious about delivering it. Nobody wants to work with that. Yeah. And right. So what's culture? Culture, I look, I, I like to simplify things so you can operationalize it. Otherwise, you sound smart, but it means nothing. Right. So culture is con- random, everyday behaviors that define a company every day. And it's a it's a drip, drip, drip of a creation. And it's and it's the behaviors that we want people to live by authentically. I like that. And that is a simplified way of defining what can be a bullshit comment. I'm a simple person, you know? Uh, You're a straight shooter. Um, Okay, so question for you then. How do you go about intentionally creating a culture or building a culture on the premise of what you just said, which is it's small incremental things repeated over time? Is there a a way of doing that? Or is it something that is a little bit more amorphous? Okay, so two things. It starts before they even take a position in your company. It starts with the interviewing process, right? Here's a great question to that. How did you work? How did you handle working with somebody that you really didn't like? In which environment? (laughs) In private equity or in Getty? Uh, private equity, I know. Winner take private all. Private equity, I mean, I mean that that's a totally different ball game. I mean, there are some elements there, but I mean, you know, if you know, we we started off this conversation saying relationships yeah. matter, right? Networks matter. In fact, before we pressed record, we talked about that, right? Right. Um, in in areas where ego and status rule, you know, mixed with a heap of cash behind it, networks are incredibly important there. Okay, but but then you all right, so 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 let me qualify this then. So then you then you know that you are going. Someone in private equity is not will never ask that question because they don't care about that. To them, it's the bottom line: get the deal done. Right? I don't think the culture and the making the world a better place is the mission or the value. It's slightly different. They they care about culture a lot. They just don't call it culture. What they care about is a way of doing things. 
Um, call it call it a cult. <laughs> That's probably. I mean, and you know, and and there are people who I've worked with. In fact, it's quite interesting this, who have never left private equity because they can't leave private equity, right? Because they know, can't not, work in a different environment. Yeah, because they're they're so ingrained in the culture of what it means to be successful there, even if it's not serving them. You know, certainly from a a wider relationship or health perspective. So they might culture, not be getting into heaven, but they'll leave a not, lot of money behind. Well, yeah, exactly. They might be dead early, you know, and, and have, you know, might be able to buy a castle. All right. But um, the culture exists. It's just a different type of definition of culture, maybe than what we were talking about. Previously. So I made, I made the mortal sin of making the assumption that when we were speaking culture, when you asked the question that it was a healthy culture. So I should have asked for clarification. For that. I, I'll tell you, you probably should have. That's okay. I, I, I forgive you. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. Let me tell you, you know, I said I was going to say something on this um, on this show that um, I thought you'd find interesting. So I'm going to I'm going to say it now that we're we're you know talking to everybody. So so when you when you value a business, and this might help actually some of the stuff you're doing now actually, if you haven't heard this before, about thirty to forty percent of the value is in the financials. Sixty to seventy percent is what we call the intangible assets. Mm -hmm. The intangible assets are four things, and we we measure these through due diligence when we go and buy a company. The first one is is human capital. So it's your, you know, the people, the structure, um, not just how capable the, the people are in the business, but the way that it's all put together. Mm -hmm. Then you have what's called structural capital, which is processor systems, technology automation, how well the machine is built and runs. Then you have what is called customer capital, which is the idea that you don't have any over-reliance on one set of customers. So if you've got five customers, and they're all massive and you lose three of them all of a sudden you know the business is worth zero because you've just kind of lost all your revenue in one hit but the last one is is termed social capital and it's actually uh, about the brand viewed externally and it's about the culture as created internally mm -hmm. and so when we come into a business say on private equity i want to buy something we'll look at those four intangible capitals and we'll assess them and this is the this is the bit that kind of blows people away when you when you sell a company uh, it's obviously the, the the value of the business in terms of its financials times by a multiple, and that multiple is sometimes profit or sometimes revenue. Mm -hmm. You can't control the range of multiple because that's defined by the capital markets, but where you sit on the range is defined by those four intangible assets. So let's say in a market, you know, you could sell a company for six times profit or 20 times profit. The 20 times profit is a much bigger number for, you know, exit and, and investor relation, all that stuff. And that's defined by those intangible assets. So the work that you're doing, particularly on probably human capital and social capital, is increasing the value of businesses exponentially. And that's not always known, I think, by a lot of people. And that, that is interesting. And the social capital aspect is becoming more and more to the fore. From, it's, from, it's more from measurable now than it used to be as well. Yeah, I mean, it didn't, used to be as measure, it didn't used to be as measurable or people weren't as aware of it as right. they are now, but you know, right. it's very hard to hide these days, you know, whereas, you know, you've got people reviewing your business online all the time. So there is a value to making sure that you understand how that whole system works. That, that, that is so interesting. And I think that's, it's, it's positive. And is it, is the breakdown truly the way you ended it or is that? Well, it is because it, you, first and foremost, remember, I said 30 to 40% is financial. That is still the single most, if you, if you think, I, I actually mentioned five things there. But, but here's the thing. Accounting principles were created back in the 1940s and 50s. 
And so if you go back even 20 years ago, the only way to measure a business was based on a, a looking backwards financial calculation done by a CPA or accountant. Mm -hmm. You didn't have digital, you didn't have measurement, you didn't have um, net promoter scores, you didn't have all these other things. So therefore the tools that we have to assess the value of a business have changed. So yeah, it is, it is real because you can buy a business that looks great financially or, you know, get a valuation like we work or Uber, but there's no real value in that business. If, if it's going to collapse as soon as someone invests in it or you acquire it. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So, so you're talking about the history, right? Of the accounting. So if yep. you think about leadership and management, most companies are working back from the seventies, right? With where it's the command and control trust has to be earned. And now we have, and Stephen Covey, the son just came out with the book. Now it's trust and inspire, right? And now the people want trust to be given to them until it's, they're not deemed trustworthy. And then that whole, again, that whole concept Right. Like, just think about Uber. Uber actually is so interesting. Growing up, you would, what are you told? You never go in a stranger's car. Never. If someone pulls up to you, you oh run. God, there were movies back in the 80s, like The Hitcher, I think, who had Root Gahauer in it, where, like, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a cold night, rainy night, you know, he, he's basically getting into people's cars and, you know, hacking them up. Right. You know, that, that's, exactly. that scared the hell out of me when I was about, you know, 12 years of age. <laughs> And, and so, and so what, what we've done society, you know, it, in some ways, and this is actually positive for all the noise we hear out there, there is more trust in the world. If you will allow yourself to go online to a site that I don't know how secure it is. They have my credit cards information. They have my kids, right? Because they're probably on, maybe not, I don't know. And then you get <laughs> into a car and you see the Lyft or the Uber thing. All right, the license plate number looks good, but really how the hell do you know? Well, that's it. Well, you're, you're trusting um, that someone somewhere, a computer possibly, or a person plugging numbers into a computer has done some check on the guy or girl who's driving the bloody thing. That's what you're trusting. And you don't, you don't know who's done that. There's a, a little statement in your app. Which exactly. says, oh, and, and how about Airbnb as a young, as a young woman, not college age girl, right? I'll go. I live right outside of New York city. I'm going to New York city to a stranger that opened up, up the door. Then I'm going. It's to crazy, there. isn't it? But back to like, we talked about culture in different ways today, but like, you know, it's, it's amazing how, kind of societal culture, if you like, or the way that we think about things has progressed and changed. Even the, you know, the years that I've been in business, which is what, 30 odd years now, um, you know, just seeing how everything's evolved there, right? It's crazy. I've got, it's, I've got well, to... So, right. So, so the biggest in most companies, the biggest department is compliance, right? So that tells you how we don't trust people. But I guess I always want to look for the positive, but I do feel that I like you, Nick, right? We've spoken to each other several times now, yep. right? We've never met in person, but we have Zoom, eyes of the windows to the soul, right? Yep. If if you gave me your word, I will run with it. Now that's not true for everybody, right? And I think that's a wonderful thing. Now I know some people would never do that, right? I heard Warren Buffett, I don't know if this is, too tr is still true, but I did hear him with his last uh, thing that he does in, in Omaha, 
He said, I, he does deals, like they'll send the paperwork. I'm sure he's looking through it a little bit and he'll say to the CEO, are these numbers true? And the CEO or whomever, he says yes. And he does a handshake for a deal. That's incredible. What's behind that is there's going to be a heap of lawyers who are looking through terms, but but yeah, you're, that's what you're my right. husband said. He said that's what my husband said. He said, "Trust me, he's not just doing it on a hand." But you know, oh, my no, but the, the point's well made, and I think I think also I've seen that happen a few years ago where we a company was sold that I was part of, and it was sold for over two billion dollars, and you know where everyone else was turning up, all these private equity guys with thirty people in the room, the person who bought the business in the end turned up with his best friend from school. I love right? that. And they, they literally had they, they, a bit of a joke, but they had the, sort of the handcuff on the briefcase and they opened it up and like the checkbook's in there and they signed the check. And that was it for two something billion dollars. Well, so, listen, but listen, so let's go like, so let's go back to, let's go to LeBron James, right? Yep. American basketball player, oh, God, right? I'm, I'm a basketball freak. So yeah. We'll that's right. That. That's right. I do remember that. So yeah, when he first, when he left Cleveland, it was a whole debacle. He had that whole announcement. It was much ado about nothing. And his brand really got hurt because what happened was he was started to make it big. He fired all the people that originally worked for him, which were his high school friends from the street, right? He got all these smart guys. One bad decision after another was made. Fired them, brought back his friends. Let's face it, most of us, can do any job except rocket science and neurosurgery. You know, people aren't that, you know. No, I, I get the point. I get the point. Right, right. So his friends learned, but here's what they had. They had trust and he trusts them. And they had integrity and character. They were looking out for the brand. It wasn't just the short-term gain. And that's what I think we have to get away from because calm is a bitch. Let me ask you this, because um, I'm really curious about, because you as I said you work with lots of different leaders and lots of different organizations. What are the traits that you see of amazing leadership today? And what are the big derailers that you see, which can absolutely take someone down? Let's say okay. you know, they can wreck their reputation really quickly if they don't understand that. Two questions okay, there. Great. Great. So look, most CEOs, leaders, they're, they're usually pretty smart guys, right? And when they do get to that level, they tend to also have the EQ, the emotional intelligence, but they're human. I would say one of the major traits of successful leaders are they are optimistic growth mindset people. You know, the, the, no matter, it, every business is a roller coaster, especially for entrepreneurs, right? There's days you're like crushing it, who's better than me? And there's days you don't want to get out of, the, out of your bed. I have found my experience has been the most successful people. They, they will always find Mr. Rogers, always look for the good, right? They are, at, they are inherently optimistic people. They will see a failure, a sign of emotional intelligence. They will see a failure as this is a challenge. All right, how are we going to figure this out? We can overcome this. It doesn't defeat them. It energizes them. So, so there's that aspect. Yep. The downside can be that optimism sometimes can, 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 can be a blind spot to they can't really see reality. And here's the other piece that I've had to help coaches help, help these guys with. And they are usually guys, I have to say it. Helping them work with the people that are trying to manage them. 
for their career, for their success. Not as, in, as in being coachable or like, you know, you mean like that? Because No, no. In so far as they're trying to manage the CEO for their own game. Okay, got it. So it's that's, I understand, I understand, I understand the distinction. I understand the distinction. I'm sorry if I'm not saying it clear. I feel badly now. Um, okay. but, but, but people but trying the to issue? manage what's the, what's the What's the risk with that? What's the risk with, with that behavior? You're being misled and the person is doing it for their own good, not for the greater good. If you're leading a company, it's like the military. You'll sacrifice one for the good of many. These people are sacrificing nobody. For themselves some of the some of the um and again this is not true for everyone so i know it's a blanket statement but some of the great leaders i work with have that very high you know eq i'm sure they do. And, and i you know and, and not to say not to sort of say i had that all the time but i was pretty good at smelling out bullshit, mm -hmm. right you know because it would be like because there's a, there's a certain point i think where people can keep a facade on for some time but if you spend enough time with them you can kind of work it out Right. There's usually a little there's usually a little bit of a drop in the in the in their performance in terms of their ability to keep up that facade. And um, I've also found that people who are, this is again my personal view, that are motivated too intrinsically to themselves don't have the awareness to understand when they're being caught out by others. So yeah, and and so I gave a keynote and the CEO brought me in and I and I said he's a great guy. And um, he was he was from Spain. So I said, you know, what was the feedback? He said, oh, they loved you. I said, no, no, what was the real feedback? He goes, Patty, and you don't think I asked the people that are kissing my butt. I asked the people that will tell me the truth, right? So, so the, you need, for the people that, that you're talking about, you need to go, you need to, all right, bring it full circle. You need to have an authentic, genuine relationship where you will go to someone that reports to that person that will speak the truth to you. And that's something where it's, you know, the CEO gets on a call, the CEO walks into the room, the whole dynamic changes. Like I've had to tell CEOs you're not invited to this meeting and they will say, Oh, I was told, I was told by my coaching consultant, I'm not allowed to come to the meeting. And I'm like, that's right. Because the minute you show up, everything changes and everybody is vying for them. And it's, it's not necessarily bad, right? Everybody's working for a living. Everybody wants to shine. Everybody wants to put their best foot forward in the presence of the boss. That's okay. But sometimes there's too much noise that comes from that. And then you get distracted from what's important. Yeah, no, I've seen that. I've seen that. And also, you know, as much as we can say people are thinking for the, for the good of the business and all that sort of stuff, there's always a percentage of it's about me right? You know, That's I don't okay. necessarily yeah. call that ego. It's, it's just the fact that, you know, if you've got an ounce of, um, you know, standards that, that you adhere to, you want to, you want to perform, right. And you want to be acknowledged for that. And so oh, sometimes you always that's... want, well, I will say you always want to overperform. You always want to go that extra mile just because, I mean, that's the way I was raised that you, that's your integrity. You always want to go above and beyond just because it is the right way to, to work and to live your life. You, that's, that's the culture I want. Final question for you. Anyone listening to this, um, you know, and, some, and we've got different levels of people here. Some are CEOs, some are investors, some have exited companies, some are on the pathway up, you know, some are, you know, just starting their business for the first time. So it's a broad mix of, of business leaders, entrepreneurs. 
what's what's something they can do personally to um you know maybe maybe get more intentional around their personal leadership you know so just to, to create awareness maybe of their blind spot is there anything that you you think people can start doing more of that they may not be doing already it's it's simple but it's not easy okay good always ask for the negative feedback yes <laughs> this is what i do tell me Ah, uh, I know, I know. I've uh, and, taken me back and, a few years now. <laughs> and and here's here's a concept we didn't even touch on. The reason for that is because besides all the obvious stuff, it will also, as the leader or as you're on your way up or as an influencer, anyone that influences is a leader, aka John Maxwell, right? Yeah. Is when you get that negative feedback, it gives you a, that's where you grow, right? And it allows you to become a more empathic person. That's a whole conversation for another day. Awesome. I get it. I fully get it. Well, listen, thank you for coming on the show. We've touched on some stuff today that, as I mentioned, we haven't covered beforehand. And I love this idea that you know, it doesn't matter how successful you think you are right now, there's always another stage, right? And there's always people like you who can help them understand what that is and get to that next stage. So thank it's been you. delightful that, that, having you. <laughs> thank you. I mean, isn't that the fun of life? And and for everyone listening to this, you 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 never you never arrive. You get there and then there's something else. That's why I have to live 10 lives. I um I was on on holiday with family recently because it's uh, as we record this it's got the end of summer here, um, and I read um, Green Lights, the book by Matthew McConaughey, mm -hmm. and I I read it. it was a really great book actually it was much better than I expected it to be but there's a, a famous speech that he did when he won the Academy Awards you may remember it where he talks about the thing that he's always chasing is him ten years in the future it was one of the mm -hmm. most powerful speeches I think on this idea of you know you may have a vision for your life and you may have all these different dreams, goals, whatever else, but you know, that, that concept of, of becoming the best version of you, whatever that is, and you may not even know what that is yet, but you're always striving for that is I think a really good um, way of describing growth mindset. As you point yeah, out, listen, point. listen, enjoy the journey. Cause no one gets out alive. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, where can people find you, um, Patty Ann, and, 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 and tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you're, you're doing right now before we finish. Great. So I, I have, so my podcast that Nick was a fantastic guest on, which I'd love everybody to subscribe to is called the trust doctor, restoring trust and enriching significant relationships. And obviously it's about trust and relationships. I, think I was quite vulnerable on that. So don't anyone, don't anyone listen to my episode. You were um, great. You were great. <laughs> Check him out. He really, he was great. Um, I actually should have him on for part two challenge. Challenge, Nick. You take. Oh, I'm always, I'm always up for a conversation. There you go. You, there you go. You're a great guy. <laughs> and then go to my website, drpadian.com. I have a free report on reading body language, right? Because eighty percent of what we don't say is more important than what we do say. Oh, see, that's see, all. This stuff is cool. And and then if you if if you kind of are intrigued by what Patty Ann's like, you know, but but a much better version, go and watch Billions. <laughs> <laughs> And see, and, see, and see the performance that's driven by having someone like a Patty Ann in your organization and how uncomfortable, but awesome it can be. You know what? Honestly, I would never, I would never work for Axel, for Bobby Axelrod. 
No, no, there's, there's, there's definitely there a values misalignment. Money, I think. On the tragedy of 9-11. Oh, yeah. New York or so. Anyway. Anyway, that's, that's a different yeah. story. But listen, Thank you so um, much. I delight having you on. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting in person. Um, on well, one you, of these we're going to do it. Soon. So we'll do that soon. There you Thanks go. very Thanks. much. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of your day, Pedia. Bye. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.